Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. It is SNY.TV's The Juice on the Cuse podcast, covering Syracuse basketball, lacrosse, and football. Today on The Juice on the Cuse podcast on SNY.TV, we'll be talking about the upcoming Syracuse basketball season and SU's incredible upset win against Clemson. I'm Wes Chang, and I'll be joined later by Jim Stick Schulte, and our guest today is Syracuse.com's Mike Waters. Mike, how are you today? I'm doing just great, Wes. It's good to talk to you again. Absolutely, Mike. It's always great to talk to you, and we will get you started on this one. One of the biggest question marks this season is going to come from Syracuse's center position. Syracuse has Baraba Sadibi and Pasco Chuku playing those spots. How have they looked in training camp so far? Well, it, you know, it, we get to go in, we get to go to practice, but we only get to stay for about the first half hour, and about 10 minutes of that is stretching. So <laughs> I don't want to make any uh, huge proclamations about players, especially guys like Pascal and Barama. Barama, a freshman, we've never seen before at this level, and Pascal we haven't seen on the court in a year, really, because uh, after the seven games last year, they had to shut him down completely with the eye injury. They're both obviously very long and athletic. Uh, Barama, perhaps more athletic than, than Pascal. Uh, Pascal can take up a lot of space because of his size and wingspan, but I like Barama's uh, almost natural instincts on defense, or at least it appears that way. Uh, I, talking to the coaches, uh, they believe that he can be a very good defender uh, right from the get-go as a freshman, and they talk about him in terms of uh, Baimu Cicada, who was a, a very good defender in the middle of the Syracuse zone, maybe not a shot blocker per se, but teams found it hard when, uh, to score in the middle whenever Bai was in there. And so if they're talking about Barama in those terms, I think that says a lot about a kid, especially an incoming freshman. But uh, Pascal right now probably a little bit ahead of him just because of his experience at the college level. But um, you know, beyond that, it's hard to say, but I tell you this, uh, don't look for any offense out of either one of the two. It's just really not part of their arsenals right now. Their jobs are really going to be come in, play really good defense, and rebound. Mike, the other question mark has to be at the point guard position. Frank Howard really struggled last season. Part of that had to do with the abdominal injury, but he's going to be counted on to make that leap forward for Syracuse to remain competitive. Do you see him making that jump? I think the opportunity's there. I think he could. He looks good in practice. He's the leader of the guard group. He's the elder statesman, even though Geno Thorpe's here, he's a fifth-year grad transfer, but this is Gino's first year in the Syracuse program, where it's, it's Frank's third, 
Tyus Battles, your leading returning scorer, but still Frank's a little older. So it's not like he has to lead an incredibly young group of kids, so he doesn't have that huge responsibility on him. And yet at the same time, he's still at the front of the line when they're going through drills. He'll talk to Gino or he'll talk to Howard Washington about what they need to do in a certain you know drill or or if they start lining up in the defense and you know, so that's a good sign to me. I was watching him shoot the other day uh, before practice started and he's making three pointer after three pointer and the form just looked so good and the rotation and the ball was better than I'd ever seen it. And I thought to myself, this kid could knock down a couple threes early in the year if they could go out and, and play well and if he could just get some confidence. I think he'll be fine. But I think right now what Frank Howard needs more than anything else is some on-court success. He needs to build up some confidence uh, in himself and I think uh, maybe gain the confidence of the coaching staff, particularly Jim Beheim, so that he doesn't start playing with his head on a swivel. Like every time something goes wrong, he's immediately you know, looking back at the bench to see if Jim Beheim's mad and, and, and if a sub is on his way to the scorer's table. He's got to stop playing that way. I think the only way that happens is he's got to build some success. So I think he can, but we'll just have to wait and see. You know, they have some games early on in the season that should be wins. A couple of them might be a little bit tougher than others. Uh, Oakland's going to be a tough match. Uh, you know, Iona, St. Bonaventure coming closer to Christmas. But uh, he's got to build up some confidence before they run into teams like Kansas and Connecticut and Georgetown. Mike, last season, Syracuse had two graduate transferred in John Gillen and Andrew White, and they got some excellent games from them. Has Geno Thorpe picked up on the zone well, and what type of impact do you expect him to have? Okay, it's not going to be like John Gillen or Andrew White. Uh, Andrew White was <laughs> exceptional, uh, you know, leading the team in scoring at about 18 points a game and breaking the school's three-point record, uh, you know, breaking Jerry McNamara's old mark uh, by hitting 112 threes. But Geno's not going to be that. And, but I think he could be a better fit here than John Gillen. And John Gillen was, was, was fine at times last year. He won you a couple games. He won you the NC State game. Uh, he hit the last second shot to beat Duke, and that was great. But, you know, he was listed at six feet tall, and he probably wasn't even that tall. And at times, you never got the feeling that he totally bought in on defense. And I, I don't think it was that he bought in on the zone or knew how to, what to do in the zone. There were just times I don't think John really bought in on defense. You know, you have to have your hands up at the guard spot because you have to deny the entry pass to the high post. You just you, The ball's going to go there sometimes, but you can't let it get there easily. And too many times last year, opposing teams were getting the ball to the high post, which creates something. They're getting it there way too easily. Geno Thorpe is at six foot three or six foot four, and from what I can see in practice, he's an aggressive defender. He's energetic. He's up on his toes. His arms are in the air. So, you know, I think he can play defense. I don't. I never really worry too much about the, you know, the oh, Syracuse is in the zone, can they play zone, or is he man to man? Or same thing at the other end of the spectrum when kids leave Syracuse and, and are going to the NBA, and the question about whether they can play man to man in the NBA or not because they played zone at Syracuse, you know, sometimes for like all of one whole year. I'm like, come on, he played man to man his whole life. He played zone for one year. I think we should know whether he can play defense or not. <laughs> I think Geno Thorpe is 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 going to buy into the idea that. He's going to have to play defense to get on the floor. And then if he does, I think he can help this team offensively. He's averaged about 15 points a game last year at South Florida. He also led that team in assists. So he was, he was having to do a lot uh, for a team. 
this year he would have Tyus Battle on the floor with him. He's got a few other options. But I think they're going to need his offense. I think they're going to need his three-point shooting. So I, I could actually see him, Frank Howard, and Tyus Battle all on the floor at the same time for, for, for large stretches of time this year in a three-guard offense. Mike, you've mentioned Tyus Battle in passing, so let's talk exclusively about him. Syracuse has had a nice run of first-round draft picks. Do you see Tyus Battle joining that group? He's got the potential. It's funny, you look at some uh, mock drafts right now, and he's in the first round, but he's probably between 20 and 30 at the very, you know, in the last third of the first round. I've seen a couple mock drafts that don't have him in the first round. So I don't think he's a lock to go. I know he's thinking about it, probably. <laughs> I know it's up for consideration, and I would imagine, given a, at least a, a good year, not even a great year, but at least a good year, he would he probably should test the waters and go through the the, the whole draft process that they're allowed to do now while still retaining their eligibility. So we'll see where he is at the end of the season. I think it's going to depend not just on how good a year he has, but maybe how good a year the team has, especially when I think we all are looking ahead already. We're guilty of this. We can because we're, we're writers and broadcasters, and in, in the case of your listeners, we're, all, we're fans. Uh, so you, you look ahead to that next coming year. You know, with a couple of the recruits they've already got and, and all the young kids that are on this team. And would Tyus Battle be tempted at all to come back for a junior year that where Syracuse could be looking at, at having a really special team? So I think we'll, we'll, let's see what kind of year they have this year and what kind of year Tyus has. But I, in, in thinking about Tyus, I keep going back to that, that Duke game last year. And we all know John Gillen won it with the last second three, but Tyus Battle won it with his plate in the second half. He took over that game. He took advantage of some mismatches. Now, he may not have mismatches this year because he's going to go from being the guy that was probably third or fourth on the other team's scouting report to the he's going to be the number one guy for other teams. So when they come in to play, he's going to get the best defender on the other team on him, and he's going to you know that. The help defenders are going to be helping on Ty's battle. So I think at times it'll be a tough year for him, but, man, he's talented. He looks good in practice, too. I got to tell you, his body looks great. He's in tremendous shape. He he looks really good. Mike, we'll get you out of here on this one. A little bit early to be making such big predictions, but I'm still going to ask you for one. So, is this Syracuse team an NCAA team, or are we in for another NIT season? Man, you're asking me in October about a bubble. (laughs) (laughs) That is so unfair, Wes. Um, They, I I think they will be a bubble team. I think they could get into the NCAA tournament, even though I don't know if they're as good as they were last year. But you know, last year's team got off to such a horrendous start, and they really squandered every potential opportunity they had in the non-conference. They lost to everybody. If this team could just beat Connecticut and Georgetown to get two wins away from the Dome, and then make, you know, beat Maryland. Uh, but even if you don't beat Maryland, Maryland won't be a bad loss, even though it's at home. You lose to Kansas probably on a neutral court. But then you can't afford a loss to St. Bonaventure at home because I think St. Bonaventure is going to be another bubble team. That that could be a game that gets one team in and one team out, and we're going to play it before Christmas. Uh, Iona and Oakland on the schedule are two teams not to be overlooked. And this is a team, a Syracuse team, that's not great, and they're young. So you're going to have to be careful of those games in November, December against teams like Oakland, Iona, St. Bonaventure. Um, you can't lose those home games because that, that will stick out uh, like a sore thumb in front of the NCAA committee come next March. But you do that and you 
Go 500 in the league. And the ACC this year is not as good as it was last year. So I know a lot of people are going to pick Syracuse to finish like 10th, 11th, even 12th in the league. But there's not a huge difference between number 11 in the league in the preseason and number 7. Last year there was. Last year the teams that finished 6, 7, even 8 were good teams. I don't know if they're that good this year. So if Syracuse can just handle its business, and, and, and not lose their way as a young team through the non-conference. I, I see a path to an NCAA tournament bid, but it's going to be tough, and, and there's not a lot of uh, margin for error. Mike, thanks so much for coming back on the program. Again, our very good friend, Mike Waters from Syracuse.com. Enjoy the upcoming season. We'll talk to you soon. Good talking to you again, Wes. Thanks for having me on. Great stuff from Mike Waters, one of the best in the business. And I'm now joined over the phone by the Juice Online senior columnist, Jim Stick-Schulte. Jim, how are you today? Doing great, Wes. It's an honor to follow Mike Waters, especially after the giant win over Clemson. <laughs> Jim, then let's cut right to it. Syracuse with an improbable win over number 2 Clemson, 27-24 to on Friday night. Jim, I can think of a couple other games at the Carrier Dome that were on this level. I'm thinking Syracuse's 48-21 route of Penn State in 1987. How about that 17-9 win over then number 1 Nebraska in 1984? This has got to be up there in the top five, right? Absolutely. I mean, the first time, first fact you look at is that it's the second time SU has ever beaten a team ranked in the top four. The Nebraska game you mentioned in 84 being the other. Uh, to be, it's, right now it relates more to the Nebraska win because it's the, it's the win that announces the program, hey, we can do this. You know, the team, you know, still ended up around 500 for a couple seasons back in the mid 80s before really turning up, but that win over Nebraska kind of showed everyone, hey, we can do a little more. Uh, the Penn State win you mentioned in 87, to me that was the next phase that we're hoping for for Syracuse, and that was establishing themselves as a national player. Uh, you know, it took, in that case, it was you know basically three years after they beat Nebraska, and we're not sure if or when that will come for the current Syracuse program, but just the fact that they're in the ACC Atlanta Division suggests there's going to be plenty of opportunities for that win that really vaults themselves back into the national team. Jim, so many heroes across the board. Eric Dungy, three touchdown passes. Steve Ishmael, Irv Phillips with a touchdown catch each. The defense holding one of the most prolific offenses in the country to 17 offensive points. You were covering the game for the Juice Online at the Carrier Dome. When did the crowd sense that this upset was actually going to be possible? I think it was early, actually about the middle of the first quarter. And it circled around two things you mentioned, the defense and then the Irv Phillips touchdown. Uh... You know, they'd already they'd scored on that first drive, but taken that punch, the quick response from Clemson with the touchdown that matched up, and then Clemson held them to three and out. Clemson marches down the field, but as soon as they got in the red zone, defense stiffens, stuffed them on first down, stuffed the second down play with the, with the fumble that Clemson recovered, and then snuffed out a third down pass. Clemson, you know, the field looker comes out and, you know, he just yanked that kick to the, to the left of the upright, and it's a bad kick from the get-go. And I think that was that the defensive stand and the missed field goal that was like, hey, maybe something can happen tonight. Two plays later, there's the blown coverage. Dunsey puts the ball right in Phil's hands, and he's on cruise the last 45 yards of the end zone. And I think that honestly was like, hey, this things, things are happening in our favor. We can do it. But, hey, uh, it wasn't just luck of maybe that kick being missed and maybe that fumble, you know, messing with Clemson's head. But they took advantage of two opportunities. Number one, defense kept them right there in the game. And number two, that blown coverage that Dungeon Phillips exploited. 
Jim, at the beginning of the season, you wrote your preview and predicted seven regular season wins and an eighth in a bowl game. That seems like it's on the table now. If they can hold serve at home against Boston College and Wake Forest, they have winnable games against Louisville and Florida State. How do you see the rest of this regular season shaking out? Uh, Let me quote Dino Babers. I-D-K. I had the team at 4-3 in this point, but a different route getting here. And I don't know if there was a memo that made it to our office for the Juice Online, but not to some of us out in the field, where there was an announcement from the ACC saying that the conference name was changed to Anarchy and Chaos Conference. Uh, this weekend has been <laughs> wacky, throwing everything up in the air. Uh, you mentioned the remaining schedule for Syracuse. Wake and BC at home, Miami, FSU, and Louisville on the road. Uh, to me, it all boils down to what they do next week. Uh, they're at Miami. Uh, Miami... You know, had some problems today, hold out a win at home over Georgia Tech on a field goal with four seconds to go, and they're certainly not going to look past SU, not after the way they, you know, frankly, beat Clemson. And then, so Miami also has to be looking at the rest of their schedule and thinks they can run the table, get to that ACC Conference Championship game and maybe to the, the BCS Championship final four teams. Uh, you know, FSU is out there, and that's a road game too. They're super talented on paper, but... Their offense has had real problems scoring after losing Francois for the season. You know, and Louisville is who they play next week. If Louisville beats them, that's four losses for FSU, and maybe they, maybe some of the players just kind of mail it in. Who knows? But like you said about LSU, they lost today giving up 45 points to Boston College. Before today, Boston College had 47 points in four games against Power 5 teams. So who knows what can happen in Louisville? You know, you know, they still have Lamar Jackson. He can go nuts again. We've already seen him do it to Syracuse. But, again, it's out there. It, you know, after beating Clemson, can't say there's a single game on the schedule. They can't win. But at the same time, who knows what's going to happen from week to week in this conference now. Very interesting to see how the end of the regular season plays out. A lot of possibilities still out there. Jim, we are right at the end of our show. Your closing thoughts. Uh, the one thing I, I that seemed odd about this past week and even through last night was Dino Babers and constantly, you know, trying to entice people to come out to the dome. You know, and even during the game, he mentioned the fans at halftime when they were in the field, and then again lauding them in this press conference after the game, making a plea to come out, get vocal about this team, and you know, provide home field advantage. But the problem is, is Syracuse isn't home for four more weeks. Next week at Miami, bye week, and then down to Tallahassee to play Florida State the week after that. So basically, there's not a chance to go see them for four more weeks. And if they lose to Miami or FSU or even the both, there could be some of that hanging around feeling in the fan base of like, eh, they beat Clemson, but same old, same old. So it remains to be seen if there's any progress with the fan base after last night's game. Jim, my closing thoughts are on Michael Carter-Williams, who practiced on Sunday at full speed for the first time since last spring. Carter-Williams has had a series of knee injuries and now is with the Charlotte Hornets, his fourth team in the last five years. I'm just hoping the former Syracuse point guard can stay healthy. That's it for us, or Jim Sixschulte. This is Wes Chang asking you why someone can't invent a clear toaster so you can see how toasted your toast is while it's toasting. You've been listening to the Juice on the Cues podcast on SNY.TV, and we'll see you next time. This has been the Juice on the Cues podcast, part of the SNY.TV audio network. 
Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 